1: And now, Hebraic Roots teacher, Eddie Chumney, of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International.
0: Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries. And we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, Exposing the Kingdom of Darkness. This is part 12 of the series. And now, another quote from Zibaneep Brzezinski, where he says, Calling for a forging of communism with the West... The ultimate goal is world government. Next, I'd like to share with you a quote from Congressman Larry McDonald, where he stated that the Rockefeller organizations want one world government. He says, The drive of the Rockefellers and their allies is to create a one world government combining super capitalism and communism under the same tent, all under their control. Do I mean conspiracy? Yes, I do. I am convinced there is such a plot international in scope, generations old in planning, and incredibly evil in intent. Next, I'd like to share with you a quote from Senator Barry Goldwater from his 1979 book With No Apologies, where he states, David Rockefeller's newest International cabal, referring to the Trilateral Commission, is intended to be the vehicle for multinational consolidation of the commercial and banking interests by seizing control of the political government of the United States. The Trilateral Commission represents a skillful, coordinated effort to seize control and consolidate the four centers of power, political, monetary, intellectual, and ecclesiastical, continuing from quoting, From Senator Barry Goldwater, from his 1979 book, With No Apologies, he continues on saying, All this is to be done in the interest of creating a more peaceful, more productive world community. What the trilateralists truly intend is the creation of a worldwide economic power superior to the political governments of the nation-states involved. They believe the abundant materialism they propose to create will overwhelm existing differences. As managers and creators of the system, they will rule the future. Next, I'd like to share with you some quotes from the 1980 book by Holly Schlar entitled Trilateralism, where she says, Trilateralism is the creed of an international ruling class whose locus of power is the global corporation. The owners and managers of global corporations view the entire world as their factory, farm, supermarket, and playground. The Trilateral Commission is seeking to strengthen and rationalize the world economy in their interest. Trilateralists look forward to a pseudo-post-national age in which social, economic, and political values originating in the trilateral regions are transformed into universal values. Expanding networks of like-minded governmental officials, businessmen, and technocrats, elite products of Western civilization, are to carry out national and international policy formation. Functionally, specific institutions with more technical focus and lesser public awareness are best suited for addressing international issues in the trilateral model. Trilateralists call this decision-making process piecemeal functionalism. No comprehensive blueprints would be proposed and debated, but bit in bit the overall trilateral design would take shape. Its functional components are to be adopted in more or less piecemeal fashion lessening the chance that people will grasp the overall scheme and organize resistance so next i'm going to share with you a 1922 quote from new york city mayor john highland regarding the banker's control of the u.s government he said The real menace of our republic is this invisible government which, like a giant octopus, sprawls its slimy length over city, state, and nation. Like the octopus of real life, it operates under cover of a self-created screen. At the head of this octopus are the Rockefeller Standard Oil interests and a small group of powerful banking houses, generally referred to as international bankers. This group of powerful international bankers virtually run the United States government for their own selfish purposes. They practically control both political parties. Next, I'd like to share with you another quote by Lewis McFadden regarding the bankers controlling U.S. government. In one note regarding Congressman Lewis McFadden is he survived two assassination attempts, but he died on October the 1st, 1936 at the age of 60 under suspicious circumstances. So he said, every effort has been made by the Federal Reserve to conceal its powers, but the truth is the Fed has usurped the government. It controls everything here in Congress and controls all foreign relations. It makes and breaks governments at will. And now a quote from U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt regarding the banker's control of U.S. government, where he said in 1933, the truth of the matter is, as you and I know, that a financial element in the large centers has owned the government ever since the days of Andrew Jackson. So we've shared with you regarding the Bilderberg Group, the Council on Foreign Relations, and the Trilateral Commission. And now we're going to share with you regarding how... The United Nations came into being and the goal that the founders had for the United Nations. The earliest concrete plan for a new world organization to replace the League of Nations, which was tried to be set up after World War I, but was unsuccessful, began with the support of the U.S. State Department in 1939. The text of the Declaration of the United Nations was drafted by U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and Roosevelt aide Harry Hopkins, while meeting at the White House on December the 29, 1941. During these meetings, U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt was the chief promoter of the United Nations idea. Later, the U.S. State Department created a special subcommittee on post-war planning to advise Congress. In January 1943, Secretary of State Cordell Hall formed a steering committee composed of himself, Leo Pasvolsky, Isaiah Bowman, Sumner Wells, Norman Davis, and Morton Taylor. All these men, with the exception of Hall, were associated with the Council on Foreign Relations. Later known as the Informal Agenda Group, in March 1943, they drafted a formal proposal for the United Nations. It was Bowman, a founder of the Council on Foreign Relations, who first put forward the details of the plan. In August 1943, Congress produced a draft of the United Nations Charter. In June 1944, U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt approved the plan and announced it to the public. For President Roosevelt, creating the UN was the most important goal of the entire World War II war effort. At the Yalta Conference held february the fourth to the eleventh, nineteen forty five, Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin of Russia agreed to the establishment of the United Nations as well as the structure of the United Nations Security Council. The Yalta Conference was the World War II meeting of the heads of government of the United States, the United Kingdom, and the Soviet Union to discuss the post war reorganization of Germany and Europe the united nations convened for the first time in san francisco in april 1945 most of the members of the u s delegation were members of the council on foreign relations on june the twenty sixth nineteen forty five fifty nations signed a charter to create the united nations on October 24, 1945, the United Nations was officially formed. At its first session on February 14, 1946, the United Nations General Assembly voted to establish its permanent headquarters in New York City. Nelson Rockefeller purchased a 17- and 18-acre piece of land along the East River in New York City for the site of the United Nations. The purchase was funded by Nelson's father, John D. Rockefeller, Jr., the new UN headquarters building officially opened on January the 9th, 1951. So now I'm going to share with you some quotes from different people regarding the United Nations. The first is from longtime TV news anchor Walter Cronkite, and he said the following: "We must strengthen the United Nations as a first step toward world government, patterned after our own government with a legislature, executive, and judiciary." and police to enforce its international laws and keep its peace. In a speech to Congress on September the 11th, 1990, President George Bush said, Out of these troubled times, we have an objective, a new world order that can emerge. We are now in sight of a United Nations that performs as envisioned by its founders. Next is a quote from James Warburg. He is the son of Paul Warburg who is regarded as the father of the Federal Reserve and a founding member of the Council on Foreign Relations. So in 1950, before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, James Warburg said the following, We shall have world government, whether you like it or not, and it will come by conquest or consent. In David Rockefeller's book Memoirs, on page 405, he said, Some even believe that we, that is the Rockefeller family, are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists or globalists, and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure, one world if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I am proud of it. The same David Rockefeller said before the Trilateral Commission in June 1991, We are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity during those early years. But the work is now much more sophisticated and advanced, and we are prepared to march towards a world government. So from David Rockefeller's quote, you can see that U.S. media helps facilitate the goal and the agenda of world government. And then David Rockefeller, in a statement to the United Nations Business Council, September 23, 1994, said, We are on the verge of a global transformation. All we need is the right major crisis, and the nations will accept the new world order. U.S. President John F. Kennedy wanted to expose the deep state elite, and he said the following seven days before his assassination. There's a plot in this country to enslave every man, woman, and child. And before I leave this high and noble office, I intend to expose this plot. So these things that we just shared with you, the banking system, the Federal Reserve and Fractional Reserve Banking, and the different organizations, multinational companies, and established political organizations work together and have a goal of eventual one world government does the bible have anything to say about what these people are planning and doing the answer is yes they are spoken of in james chapter 5 and they are called the rich men of the earth where in james chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 it is written go to now ye rich men weep and howl for your miseries that will come upon you your riches are corrupted Your gold and silver is cankered. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Continuing in James chapter 5 verse 4. Which is of you kept back by fraud. And the cries, and the cries of them, and the things that you have done and planned, have entered into the ears of the Lord of hosts. And there's a reference to the Lord of hosts in what he's going to do and when he's going to do it in Isaiah chapter 13 verse 13. Which says, Therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth and shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. So these people and entities who are the ruling elite, who have made themselves rich by fraud, and who have heaped treasure together in the last days. Which James chapter 5 calls the rich men of the earth. In Psalm chapter 2 they are called the kings of the earth. And in Psalm chapter 2, we can see that the kings of the earth are working together to rebel against Yeshua. And as we've covered in this teaching, the kings of the earth are the agents of the king of Babylon, that is Satan, in the earth to rebel against the Lord and his anointed one or Messiah. So the rebellion of Lucifer in the beginning when he rebelled against the throne of Yeshua before Adam and Eve was created in the Garden of Eden, he's repeating that rebellion in the earth through the kings of the earth, of which we've defined earlier in this teaching that the Bible identifies the kings of the earth with Esau. So let's see what Psalm chapter 2 has to say about the kings of the earth and their rebellion and what the outcome will be. In Psalm chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 it is written, Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? For the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And in the Hebrew, the word is Mashiach or Messiah, that is Yeshua. And they say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. In other words, the kings of the earth do not want to submit and be obedient to the God of Israel and the ways of his kingdom and his commandments and his Torah. So at one level, we can see the application of the kings of the earth. From Acts chapter 4. Because Acts chapter 4 verse 26. Is quoting from Psalm chapter 2 verse 2. Where it says. The kings of the earth stood up. And the rulers were gathered together. Against the Lord and against his Messiah. That is Yeshua. The application that is made to Psalm two, 2 Is the following in Acts chapter 4 verse 27. For of a truth against your holy child Yeshua. Whom you have anointed Herod and Pontius Pilate. So in the list of those who have opposed Yeshua, who is at the top of the list is Herod, who's of Esau, he's an Edomite, and Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome. And we saw earlier from Obadiah chapter 1 that Esau is also associated with Rome. Furthermore, from the Torah anthology to the book of the 12 prophets, volume 1, page 481, quoting from the book of Obadiah, it explains how King Herod was from Esau or he was an Edomite and those who destroyed the second temple in the first century was the Romans who was prophesied to do so in Obadiah chapter 1 and verse 11. So the commentary in the Torah anthology is as follows. The second temple was destroyed by Edom Rome. They are referred to as the aliens or strangers from Obadiah chapter 1 verse 11 and that King Herod was from Esau, or an Edomite. So you remember historically, the literal Esau. He lived in Mount Seir, which was a place of cave dwellings. From Obadiah chapter 1, which is a prophecy written concerning Esau or Edom, we see here, it says of him, that he lives, or dwells, or hides in caves. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 1, it is written, Thus says Yahweh Elohim concerning Edom, or Esau. Continuing in Obadiah chapter 1 verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You that dwell in the clefts or the caves of the rock. So a characteristic of Edom or Esau is that he hides or dwells or he lives in caves. And in Revelation chapter 6 verse 15 it describes the kings of the earth. A reference to Psalm chapter 2 verse 2. As hiding in caves from the judgment of the Lord in the end of days. When he judges the kings of the earth. The rich men of the earth in the day of his wrath and fierce anger. So in Revelation chapter 6, verse 15, it is written, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. So now let's see the response of the Lord to Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where once again the kings of the earth are conspiring or taking counsel. And making plans to rebel against the Lord and his Messiah because they don't want anything to do with the Lord, Yeshua, and his ways. What does the Bible say is the God of Israel's response to the plans of the kings of the earth? Well, we're told in Psalm chapter 2, verse 4, he that sits in the heavens will laugh and he will have them in derision. And then in Psalm chapter 2, verse 5, we're told that he's going to judge them in the time of his wrath, which is a reference to the time of the great tribulation in the day of the Lord. So in Psalm chapter 2, verse 5, it is written, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. And what's going to be the outcome from the plot of the kings of the earth to rebel against the Lord and against his Messiah? The end result is the kings of the earth are going to be judged... In the time of the wrath and the fierce anger of the Lord, which is the time of the great tribulation, in the coming of the day of the Lord, which is a reference to Yeshua's second coming, that ultimately the outcome of the battle is specified in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So a major biblical principle is biblical history is prophecy. And where we're going in the future is back to where we started. So, in the beginning, before Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden, in eternity past, Yeshua sat on his throne on behalf of his father's kingdom in the New Jerusalem, and he ruled and reigned upon the holy hill of Zion. But Lucifer rebelled against Yeshua and his throne. He was kicked out of the mountain of God. Yeshua creates the earth, creates Adam and Eve in the Garden, And the rebellion, which Satan did against the throne of Yeshua, he's going to repeat in the earth through the kings of the earth. And his agent by which he's going to work to cause the people on the earth to rebel against Yeshua is Esau. And Esau's ultimate world rebellion against Yeshua is through the kings of the earth and the rich men of the earth. So when Yeshua judges The rebellion of the kings of the earth and the rich men of the earth, he will continue to rule and reign from his throne on Mount Zion forever and ever. So let's summarize what we've covered in this last part of the teaching. Number one, the Bilderberg group was established in 1954. They consist of between 120 and 150 people representing the international elite from various business, media, academic, political, and governmental areas. Their goal is one world government. Number two, the Council on Foreign Relations was founded in 1921 by David Rockefeller. His goal is one world government. Today, there are about 5,000 members of the Council on Foreign Relations. From 1945 to 1972, anywhere from 40 to 50 percent of top U.S. government positions were held by members of the Council on Foreign Relations. Since then, many people running for President of the United States have been members and many members still hold influential government positions. Number 3. The Trilateral Commission was founded by David Rockefeller in 1973. His goal is one world government. Today, it has over 400 members. Many of the original founding members held high governmental positions in the administration of President Jimmy Carter. The Trilateral Commission brings together members from North America, Western Europe, and Pacific Asia to work toward a one-world government. Number 4. In 1945, after World War II, the United Nations was established. Its founders envisioned that it would be the first step toward eventual world government. Number 5. In the Bible, in James chapter 5, it speaks of the rich men of the earth who have heaped treasure upon themselves in the last days. They will be judged by the God of Israel at his second coming. Number six Lucifer's original rebellion against the throne of Yeshua is being duplicated in the earth as stated in Psalm chapter two through the kings of the earth. That would be Esau and his agents who are seeking to rebel against the God of Israel and repel or not have his authority over them in governing their lives. And finally, number seven in the conclusion of this study. The rebellion by Lucifer and the kings of the earth, referring to Esau and his agents, will fail. And they will be judged by Yeshua in the day of his wrath and fierce anger, which is associated with with the great tribulation, the day of the Lord, and the events surrounding his second coming, and Yeshua will defeat the rebellion of Lucifer and the kings of the earth, and in doing so, Yeshua will sit on his throne, and he will rule and reign forever in the New Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Well, that's going to conclude part 12 of the series on the subject, Exposing the Kingdom of Darkness. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.